Church, I want to start this morning with, uh, with a question. And it's, it's an interesting one because it's not a question that's actually found anywhere in the Bible, but it is a question that you might hear with some frequency. Are you ready for the question? Where do you go to church? Hey, hey Beth, where do you go to church? MCBC. Wanda, where do you go to church? Are you new here? Very new. 46 years new. Um, uh, we, have, we have Christian and Aaron here for the very first time. Where do they go to church? And we want to say MCBC. And it's kind of interesting because there is no place in the Bible where that question is asked. In fact, there's no place in the Bible that says you should go to church. There's a very important reason for it. And it doesn't mean you should stop going to church. That's not what we're saying. But in the days that the New Testament was written, nobody ever thought about calling a building with an address a church. In fact, they didn't even have buildings for people to gather in. They just had people. The people were the church. But a strange thing sort of happened over the course of centuries. What used to be the name of a group of people started to be used as the name of a building. And nowadays, people will drive along and they'll see a building where people gather and they say, hey, that's a beautiful church, right? Uh, To early Christians, that comment would make no sense whatsoever. Uh, To early Christians, that would be like going into the nursery over here, looking at the crib and saying, what a beautiful baby. But we know a a baby is not a crib, a, a baby is a person. A crib is a thing. A crib is just where you put the baby. And you don't even put the baby in there all the time, unless you're absolutely exhausted, right, Ashley? You, you, you put the baby in there so they can rest up and recharge and then go back into the world because babies belong in the world. Babies are made for the world. There's nothing that lights up a room and the faces around you than seeing a baby brought in the room. You wouldn't want them in the crib 24-7 unless, of course, Carrie-Anne, you're completely exhausted, right? But another phrase that you never hear in the Bible, yet we use a fair bit, is, hey, how was church today? Lannis, how was church today? Awesome. Wow. Uh, How did a particular service go is usually what we mean. How was that hour and a half on Sunday morning? How was the music? Did you like it? How is the sermon? Did the pastor lay another egg? I mean, but hey, by the way, how's the sermon going so far? How is church today? Okay. But, but you see, who's that? Oh, is that you, Brian? Thank you. Okay. But what happened is that we kind of drifted a little bit on this. And we began to measure church by how was that one little group of people who stood on this one little stretch of platform for that one little hour during the week at that one little address on Cawthor Road. And the tendency to want to compartmentalize the church, to restrict it to a particular place in a particular time and a particular group of people is something that has cropped up over the course of centuries. I actually don't think that God ever liked it. I don't really think it was his idea. In fact, a good question to ask might be this. Where does God think that church is happening? And how does God think church went today? After all, at at its heart, church was really God's idea. We believe that he's the originator for this. And as it turns out, 
There is a passage in the Bible that talks about this very directly. And it's going to be critical. It's going to be pivotal as we unpack the different pillars of our vision. As we go forward and try and understand, yes, facilities are part of a launching off thing, but really the church that God has in mind is a church without walls. And what does that look like? And I have to warn you, it's a challenging passage. It's lengthy. It's a tough set of words. It comes from the pen of an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. God gives his prophet Isaiah a message to give to his people. And it's a critical one. Uh, and in order to, uh, to make it a little bit more manageable for Sunday morning, we're going to read a selection of verses from Isaiah chapter 58. And if you're following along in your Bible, you may have to dance forward a little bit, but we'll also have the words on the screen. And this morning, we're actually going to read it out of a translation that you won't have, likely, on your lap in front of you. But you're welcome to follow along and see how this translation is just trying to take the message and make it fresh and understandable. And Mike, not for the last time, but for the last time, maybe for a little while, I want to invite you to come and read God's word for us. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. But they also complain, why do we fast? and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves, and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like. This is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate make the community livable again. That section of the Bible, Isaiah 58, one of the great chapters in all of Isaiah, in fact, one of the great chapters in all of the Bible, maybe in all of literature. The background is this, that the people thought that they were able to measure how they were doing how was church today? 
by using a set of metrics that God himself didn't approve of. They say, well, we fasted a long time today. I had these deep experiences. I raised my hands in worship. I learned a lot. I felt a lot. I was deeply moved when we sang, when we heard Ashley sing. In other words, they measured it by what did we experience during this one little hour when we are in here. And God says, no, no, that's, that's not enough. God measures it by what did you give during the rest of the week when you are not here. Gathering together to worship, uh, to learn, to have community. It's a great thing to do. I love doing it. It's the high point of my week. Your growth will be stunted without this. And I hope you'll make a deep commitment to being here on a regular basis. I hope you'll do it for your children. But folks, here's what's critical. We don't gather just for what happens in here. We come into the crib, if you want to use that language, to rest and recharge and be nourished so that we can go back into the world. We're made for the world. And as a church, yes, we want to reach up to God and we want to have our own transforming relationship with Jesus. And yes, we want to enter into those authentic community relationships with each other. But we want to do all of that so that we can live in the world, the GTA, our neighborhoods and beyond. So those places can flourish. I've been to Israel a couple of times. It's been a number of years now, but both times I had a chance to to sit and reflect and pray on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It is as beautiful and as idyllic as you would picture it. We chartered a boat and we spent some time out on the waters and uh, it's breathtaking. Uh, It's deeply moving. But you know, if, if you follow the Jordan River as it exits the Sea of Galilee and winds its way 141 kilometers down to the lowest point on earth, you come to a body of water that has an interesting name. It's called the Dead Sea. You know why it's called the Dead Sea? Because it's dead. Who said that? You're absolutely right. It's dead. There is not a single living thing in those waters. There is no plant There is no animal. There is no fish. Do you know why it's dead? you know what killed it? Salt. But do you know why it's salt? It's stingy. Water only flows in. It never flows out. And because there is no movement of water, the water flows in. The hot desert sun bakes it. and, And all the remaining minerals just crystallize and calcify everywhere. It's dead. It's what happens when only life flows in but never flows out of a body. The Dead Sea. It happens to churches. Dead Sea Church. It happens to people. Dead Sea Disciples. It happens when church becomes something there that you go to instead of something here that you are. In Chicago, there's a chain of restaurants. I just uh, spoke to a couple of our members who are on their way to Chicago this week, and I recommended them. They're called Ed Debevich's. Ed Debevich uh, launched this chain of diners, and they're situated throughout the city. And they've kind of got that Chicago attitude, a bit of Chicago swagger to them. Uh, The servers themselves, if you go in, they are absolutely, deliberately 
hilariously sarcastic. They insult their guests the whole time that they're serving them. They're complaining about what an intrusion it is to have people in the restaurant. And the restaurant slogan itself is unforgettable. Emblazoned right on the wall, it says, Ed DeBevich's Eat and Get Out. (laughs) So folks, we want to say this in the right way. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be able to gather and that we have places like this to do this. We want to be fed by God's word and inspired in worship and nourished by being together, loved and encouraged and all of that. But we don't want to create here just a safe little cocoon where we escape from a world of hurt and need and risk and pain because we were made for that world. The church's place is in the world. So here's the message we'd love to send when we gather. We want you to go deeper. We want you to go deeper in the relationship that you have with Christ on a journey of lifelong discipleship. And yes, we want you to grow closer in authentic community. But we especially want you to go wider. Eat and get out, right? The world needs you. See, too often, I think Christians... They proclaim either with their words or their attitudes. They proclaim the faith in ways that alienate other people's hearts instead of in ways that really melt their hearts. This was posted online. I read it this week. I laughed a little bit. Maybe you will. Guy was being tailgated by a stressed out, angry woman on a busy street. I know that doesn't describe any of you ladies, but but here she was. And uh, here was the man in the car in front of her, and he's approaching an intersection. The light turns yellow. He does what he's supposed to do. He steps on the brakes, brings his car to a stop just before the crosswalk as the light turns red. The lady behind her goes ballistic. I mean, she could have made it through that intersection. She could have stomped on the accelerator. She could have been way down the road ahead of everybody else. And so she freaks out, and she flips out, And she begins to let loose a chain of explicatives and gestures to match. And just as she's in mid-rant, there's a knock at the window of her car. And a very serious-looking police officer. And he asks her to exit the car with him. He takes her down to the police station. She was searched. She was fingerprinted, photographed. She was actually placed in a holding cell for a little while. After a couple of hours, another policeman approaches the cell, opens the door, and escorts her back to the booking desk where the arresting officer is waiting with her personal effects. And he says something like this, Lady, we're sorry about this. It was a mistake. I pulled you over because I saw you blowing your horn and screaming and flipping off the guy in front of you and cursing a blue streak. And I noticed the Choose Life license frame on your car and the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, and the follow me to Sunday school decal, and of course, the chrome-plated Jesus fish on the trunk. And naturally, I assumed you must have stolen the car. (laughs) Yeah, I laughed. It doesn't do any good to have Jesus on your bumper sticker if you're going to drive like the devil. And it doesn't help to have Jesus in here if he's not going to live and breathe through you out there. Living in this era, in the GTA, 
we will never win the world with bumper stickers. In fact, I'll tell you something else, and you know this is true. People in the GTA don't care a wink about what happens in our crib. They don't especially care if we sang a cool song, even if we sang it well. They don't care if it was a cool message that morning. They don't care if the building is cool and lavishly appointed inside. As it turns out, what the world really is waiting for is what actually matters most to God. It's what the real church of Jesus Christ is called to do in his name. In the name of Jesus and for the love of God, and here it is from Isaiah 58, feed the hungry, house the homeless, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the prisoner, help jobless people find work. Help literate students learn to read. Help dying people find hope. Help orphans and widows. Most importantly, help lost people find God. We don't want you just to come to church. I mean, we do, but we don't just want that for you. We want so much more. We we want you to experience the exhilaration of being the church. And we believe that God has an Isaiah 58 kind of mission for you in the world. And without it, Well, you run the risk of just turning into the Dead Sea. We want to see the power of Jesus unleashed in you. We want to see it unleashed in the GTA through you. We want to call every single one of us who's a follower of Jesus to not just come to the crib, but to own the mission that God has for you in the world that God loves. And it doesn't have to be grandiose. doesn't have to impress everyone. It doesn't have to change the world. It just has to be real. I thought to be really practical a little bit here and maybe think about how we might discover what it is that God is calling you to. What is his Isaiah 58 style mission for you? And I want to give it or do it by giving you another question to reflect on. And here it is. What is it that as you look around your neighborhood, what is it that as you read the headlines in the morning on your phone, what is it that breaks your heart? I mean, what genuinely breaks your heart? And I thought we could, we could just spend a little bit of time running through some of the categories of need in the world and invite you as you're listening to do a little bit of a heart check. Where do you find yourself experiencing a tug that says, I need to do something about this? Maybe it's education. I mean, for some of you. Some of you loved school. I mean, hands up if if that's you. You you really loved school. Ashley? Yeah. Yeah, Pauline? Daniel? You loved teachers. You loved tests because you were good at them, right? Uh, You love getting your report card because you were happy to show it off. You You were like, I don't know, you were a nerd. (laughs) And God is going to use your nerdiness. And how awesome is that? That suddenly geek is cool and God can use you in significant ways in the area of your strength and passion. So maybe it's education, but maybe some of you didn't like school at all. How many of you, that was you? I, no, I did not. Yeah. Brother and sister. <laughs> Loved it, didn't like it at all. Yeah. 
but maybe you have a love for senior citizens, for example. Right? I don't know of a culture that has ever tended to worship youth more and discard aging folks more than our culture does. And maybe that tugs at your heart. Maybe you don't like school. Maybe you're not that crazy about older people either, which is going to be a problem for you one day. But, uh, but, but what breaks your heart maybe is the problem of poverty. 1950s, there was a man named Everett Swanson. He went to preach to soldiers in the Korean War, wintertime. And while he was there, he watched some kid run into the room while he was speaking, grab his coat and run off. He followed the kid around and eventually tracked into a room full of children who were freezing to death, cuddled together underneath his coat. And he said, I cannot close my eyes to this. And out of that moment and that broken heart was born a ministry organization. You may have heard of them. Compassion International. That's how it started, with a broken heart. We have folks here who volunteer regularly with the open door. Folks who go down to the Scott Mission. Folks who work at the Scott Mission. Folks who work at at World Vision. We have young people who long after the sun is set go downtown on sandwich runs. And you see the conditions in which human beings live. And maybe it breaks your heart. It's what wrecked the heart of a man named Millard Fuller. And he started a ministry called Habitat for Humanity. And maybe your heart is pounding now just a little bit because you want to be part of of God's answer to those things. Or maybe your heart races for something else. Maybe maybe you want to be part of tearing down the walls of racism and prejudice and bigotry that has broken God's heart for centuries. And just when we felt like we were making progress, it seems that we've inherited a political landscape that is taking all of those things and ratcheting up the dialogue again. But you come here on a Sunday morning and you enjoy the richness of the diversity of God's family, and you just long for healing in the world. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have a heart for a person in jail, in prison. Prisons can be hell holes, even in this country. And when a little community of faith gets started in one, it can light up the darkness. I guess the idea is this. You don't have to wait for the perfect opportunity or for the perfect strategy, or until you've got everything figured out. You just take one little step forward in Isaiah 58 kind of faith. You volunteer. You pray. You read a little bit about the issue. You you get connected. You go on a trip. You mobilize your small group, and you get together and you do something. You say, we'll meet three weeks out of four, but on the fourth week, we're not going to sit in a living room and sip tea. We're going to go somewhere, and we're going to do something. And you'll find it's a whole lot easier for God to get involved in a life that's already in motion than one that is dead still, the Dead Sea, if you'd like. You don't have to wait for the perfect opportunity to figure everything out. You just take a step, and you ask God to help. That's it. We're done early. How was church today? (laughs) Well, actually, we don't really know the answer to that, do we? We're still in the crib, Tim. Still in the crib. 
in just a few minutes, we're going to have a couple hundred people join you. You know, Jesus gave his life to tear down the dividing walls of hostility. I think his plan was for a church that didn't exist like it was behind walls. To be a church that didn't hunker down inside of its buildings. The most beautiful church in the world is not the one with the most impressive building. It's actually the church that is in the world. In broken down neighborhoods, in under-resourced hospitals, in despair-filled seniors' residences, in, in dilapidated classrooms where there's forgotten children and lonely seniors and at-risk babies and abused women and neglected veterans and whatever it is. I said, I'm so glad you all came to the crib this morning. Uh, I hope it's felt like it's been a decent gathering. And I hope you've been encouraged and nurtured and inspired and touched by God. You've had a chance to eat. Now get out. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Tim, let's pray. Okay. God, it's not easy for us. We, we've inherited a lifetime of assumptions, maybe centuries of, of accumulated understanding of what the church is. And, and so much of it, has been good, but there are things in those assumptions that have held us back and limited us and tied us down. And so I pray that you would free us from that. That as we work over the coming weeks to to launch a, a new vision and new plans that accompany it, that you would stir the hearts of your people to begin to think creatively and resourcefully about, about what they could do and, and where they're called to do it. To see church as living and breathing and moving throughout this area of the GTA in which you placed us. And to be enthralled with the idea that the name of Jesus could be written into one more heart, on the lips of one more person, could be the answer to one more broken dream. For that purpose, we gather here. But for that purpose, we want to live our lives out there. God, lead us here and lead us out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.